welcome to another inspirational teaching from the Gate Church. Well, good morning. Just to give a further plug to the Deeper in the Word, it's less than five weeks before it begins. So if you want, you want to come on that, and you should want to come on it, sign up with the office. Spaces are limited, and there's already several people signed up already. And we're going to be, uh, in that co- uh, course, we're going to be doing uh, the first part of Hebrews. This morning, we're going to look at Haggai. And this word came to me, right, preaching on it when we were on holiday in Hopeman. So it's all about H's. And a couple of times ago, I preached on uh, Joel, uh, Haggai is another of the minor prophets. And the great thing about the minor prophets is that they're short. And this one's just two chapters. And when I got this word, I had no idea that Andy Hawthorne was going to be coming to speak to us this evening. But from what I'm going to say, I'd like you to treat it as a preparation for what you're going to hear this evening. I also saw on his website that their organization is called The Message. As you will know, that gives me problems, but I'll get over it. So, let's look at Haggai. Let me just put this in a bit of historical context. It was one of the great things about Haggai, he tells you exactly the day and the month and the year of when his, uh, the various prophecies in Haggai were given. And it was all around about 520 BC. And just put things in context. About 70 years earlier, Jerusalem had been utterly destroyed. The temple had been utterly destroyed by the Babylonians. And many of the people had been hauled off into exile into Babylon. At this point, when Haggai starts to speak, some of the people have returned. The place is a wreck. You know, you see pictures of a place in Syria on the news, a place which has been bombed out. Jerusalem was something like that. It was a complete mess. And so a number of people had returned. At some point, they'd started to rebuild the temple, but then they'd stopped. And Haggai, God sent Haggai to give this word. So if we can just, we just look at uh, chapter 1, verse 2. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. What they were saying is we need to get our own lives sorted out. We need to get our own houses sorted out. And that was an entirely understandable reaction. Because their lives and their houses that were a mess, the place needed rebuilding. It says, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the temple remains a ruin? Now, a bit there on them, it says about panelled houses. It sounds a bit like uh, Lawrence Llewellyn Bowie, you know, sort of on changing rooms or something like that. A bit of wood panelling over there, and we'll put some decoration over there. It can actually just mean fixing the roof. And I say that the devastation in their houses, that what had happened, and trying to rebuild the country, trying to rebuild their own lives, this was an entirely understandable reaction. But then what does, what does God say in 5 and 6? We're going to see what God says to them and how it applies to them and then apply it to our own lives. 5 and 6 it says, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. 
Give careful thought to your ways. You planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in purses with holes. So the people have been saying, we need to get our own lives sorted out first before we work on the house of God. And God says to them, is it working? Is it working? When their clear answer is no. But then see what he says in 9 and 10. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. It wasn't just that their methods weren't working. God was deliberately frustrating them. God was stopping them from working. Now, let's apply this to our own lives. How often have we said, I'll give money to God when I've got my own finances sorted out? I'll devote my life. I'll do stuff for God when I've got things in my own life sorted out. How often have we said or thought that? And then, does it work? Is your life so wonderful? Everything's sorted out. Does it work? And then this last bit here. What that means is that it means this. There'll be times in our lives, and there'll be some of us here today, and God is actively working to frustrate your plans. You'll be trying to get a new job, and you won't be succeeding because God is frustrating your plans. You'll be trying to get other things in your life sorted out. And you won't be getting there and making any progress because God is frustrating your plans. So, well, I don't like that. Hey, there are two ways of coming to the Word of God. One way is to come to the Word of God to tell God what He should think. It's what the liberal theologians do. It's what all of us can do and probably do do at times. We have our own ideas our own thoughts, our own conceptions of what, how things should be, and we try and impose them on God. Look, let me let you into a secret. God's got nothing to learn from me, and he's got nothing to learn from you. It's my mind that needs to be changed, not God's mind. Your mind that needs to be changed, not God's mind. We should come to the word of God to let God renew our minds because it's our minds that need changing. So let's look at this business about God frustrating our plans. I thought if you believed in God, he would do anything for you. Why is he doing this? Or why does he do this? Because God's plans for our life are so much greater than our own plans for our life. God's purpose for us is infinitely greater than our own purposes. 
Remember some of the words that Jesus said, which aren't going to come up on the screen. They're from Matthew chapter 6. And he says, why do you spend all your time worrying about what you'll eat or what you will drink or what you will wear? Which are actually the three things mentioned here in Haggai. So the pagans spend all their time running after these things. Life is more than what you eat or what you drink or what you wear. And he said, who can add a single hour to his life? What good has it done you? None. And he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, we need to be very careful how we approach that verse. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Because we will so easily approach it. Seek first the kingdom of God, so that all these things will be added unto you. And if we do that, we have not understood the heart of Jesus. All you're doing then is continuing in self-centeredness and putting a religious veneer over it. And it's not honoring to God. It's not the way of God. Let me tell you the Jesus way. We seek first the kingdom of God. We make Christ first above all things. And when we do that, so many other things in life will suddenly start to work out. Now, that doesn't mean you never work. It doesn't mean you never use any common sense. There's lots of warnings in the Bible about being idle. There's lots of verses on common sense. There's a world of difference between living by faith and living by stupidity. But when we make God's kingdom first above all things, you will notice an enormous change in your life. Look, and I'm, not, I'm talking about experience here. I've done things the wrong way, and I've done things the right way. When I've been seeking first the kingdom of God, God has given me a wife. When I've tried to get to my wife by my own efforts, it was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> when I finally gave up and said, right, God, I'm going to forget about this altogether, and I'm just going to seek your kingdom. Things changed several months later amazingly. and started working amazingly smoothly. With a job I've got, I had sought a job in Scotland and gone through various things and hadn't worked, and God finally got to the point, and I said, God, your kingdom first. And forgot about a job in Scotland. Several months later, God virtually put the job in front of my nose and said, go for it. Here it is. So many things. When we put God's kingdom first, they start to take care of themselves. But we must make sure that what's uppermost in our hearts is the kingdom of God. That that is what we live for. See, you, we were created for an eternal purpose. You are saved for an eternal purpose. We don't realize just utterly, how utterly significant we are. You can tell them to seek the kingdom of God first as well. <laughs> let's go on, but let's go back to Haggai. So what do the people do? Let's go at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, 
son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people. So everyone, civic leaders, religious leaders, and everyone in the nation obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. They responded. And then see what Haggai says in this, and an amazingly deep word from Haggai. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you. Short. Probably the shortest prophecy in the Bible. Appreciate the significance of it. Appreciate where these people were coming from. Seventy years earlier, the nation had been devastated. And devastated because of the sin of the people. The persistent, repeated sin of the people. They'd returned. And what is the first word of prophecy they'd had say to them? You're getting it wrong. How do you feel? How would they feel? But now they've repented. And God says, I'm with you. You see, the moment we turn from our own ways to God's ways. When when we're living by our own ways, God is against us. That's the long and the short of it. When we're living by our own ways, God is against us. But the minute we repent and turn to God, He's with us. I'd been an atheist for six years. The day I bowed down to Jesus and said, forgive me, I felt, now I know we shouldn't just live by feelings, but I felt the welcome, the immediate welcome of Jesus. You see, it doesn't matter what we've done, the minute we repent, suddenly we're with God. He is with us. But then see what it says. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all, the whole remnant of the people. And they began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty. What does repentance mean? It means a complete change of mind, a change of direction, and a change of actions. Now, ideally... Our heart, our minds, our spirits, our souls, and our actions are all in perfect harmony. But they very rarely are, aren't they? But Paul earlier, talking about baptism, is just saying, look, if you believe in Jesus, you've repented, go and get baptized. It's not about feelings. And it's the same here. When we need to change direction, when it comes to big change in our lives, Our minds and our emotions are usually in turmoil of some sort. They're usually all messed up. Perhaps the easiest to think of it in terms of forgiveness. There's kind of two aspects to forgiveness. Sometimes we just need to get over something. You know, there's some things which we hold as a grudge, and God's word to us is, for goodness sake, grow up. Get over it. It's not that important. But there are other times when something really seriously Serious has been done against us. Someone has done something, and it has caused enormous pain and real hurt in our lives. 
And in those situations, we know we should forgive. And maybe we resolve in our minds, I want to forgive that person. But because our minds and our hearts are so churned up, and someone asks you, have you forgiven them? The honest answer is you haven't got a clue. Because your minds and hearts are all over the place. Do you know what to do in those situations? Just pray for God to bless that person. And if it's over actions where we need to change, and when we change because we've been going in the wrong direction, there's been sin has taken such a hold of us, and then we finally change, or say, I want to go God's way instead of my way. Again, our, we, we get all screwed up inside. We know, we know what we're doing. Do actions in keeping with repentance. You see, it says in Philippians, it says, God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we just need to, look, see, it's ideally the feelings and actions are all uh, working together. But sometimes they're not. It is easier to change actions than to change our hearts. And when we change our actions, we will find that God changes our hearts. That he takes care of sorting out all the internal turmoil that's in here. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, he changes us inside. And our feelings and our minds and our emotions and everything gradually starts to come all into line with each other and all into line with God's work. So the people had responded. They'd repented. They'd changed their actions. Now, when, when that happens... Or when we embark on a new project or a new ministry or a new venture in life, we'll often start off with great enthusiasm, with great commitment. But then two issues will almost always surface. One will be the size of the task and we'll get discouraged. And the other is a deep awareness of our own unworthiness and our own inability. And again, we'll get discouraged. God knows we go through that. And he addresses both of those issues with this people. See what it says in 2.3. Who is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like nothing at all? For 69 years at this point since the temple had been destroyed, and there may have just been one or two old geezers around still left who actually, had actually seen the real temple, as boys had seen the original temple. And when that temple was built, David had just died fairly recently and had been the king, and obviously probably the best king Israel had ever had. And then Solomon, a man of great wisdom, was ruling the nation. And the nation was more or less obeying God. Things didn't want faults as well, of course, but they were pretty much obeying God, sort of. More than that, they were respected. Kings from regions around came and gave, because of Solomon's wisdom, and came and uh, honored Solomon and gave him many gifts to help build the temple. If you read in Kings, you read of the Queen, uh, Queen of Sheba and rule from here and rule from there, coming to give things to Israel. 
But now Israel was desolate. All that was left of the temple was a pile of rubble. And they were a despised nation. And God knows how they feel. He knows how we feel at times. And he says this to them. But now be strong. That's the first thing. When we get discouraged, the word of God to us is, be strong. Paul often says in his letters, be strong in the Lord. He says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land. And work. For I am with you. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Now, it's like 70 years since they've been carted off into exile. It was about a thousand years since they'd come out of Egypt. And all sorts of things had happened. And God says, my plan's not changed. I mean, Genesis, at the beginning, when God says he created us to have dominion over the earth and to subdue it, to be fruitful and to multiply. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And his plans have not changed. They've seen this, or either heard of the temple or old ones may have seen the temple, what it was like before. About 180 years ago, the McShane Revival, it was 1830-odd or something like that, I think. People were queuing up in the streets to get into church because of the spirit of repentance which God had poured out on the city, in this city. Can you imagine that happening? I find it so hard to picture. God's plans haven't changed. God's plans haven't changed. And his spirit remains among you, among us. So we should not fear. Then he goes on in 7 and 8. I will shake all the nations, and what is desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine declares the Lord Almighty. Let's just look at that. They were literally dirt poor. The nation was dirt poor. In the years leading up to the destruction of the temple, they'd given half the gold and silver from the temple away in efforts to bribe the Babylonians and before that the Assyrians. And then when the country had been invaded, most of the other gold and silver had been plundered. And God says to them, the gold and the silver is mine. Now, if you go and read in Ezra chapter 6, which is occurring just after this, you'll read this. It says, Darius the king looked in the archives and found that King Cyrus had made a decree saying that all the gold and the silver must be returned to Jerusalem for the building of the temple. And then he also issued a decree that the regions around Israel 
must collect money to pay for the rebuilding of the temple. These are not just words. This is what happened. Because the silver and the gold belongs to God. Now, you might feel that you've had many things taken from your life. And many things taken from your life, probably most of them because of our own sin. Sometimes you can feel, am I ever going to get goodness back in my life again? Goodness is in the hands of God to give. It belongs to him, and he is the one who gives it to his people. When we turn to him, he turns to us. Let's go on to verse 9. It says, The glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. That words then which translated there, Lord Almighty, that just says Lord of hosts or means Lord of armies. Now think of these people. They had been devastated by armies of various nations, defeated by armies of various nations. And God says, I am above all of these armies. And maybe our lives have been devastated by all sorts of things. But whatever it is that has come against us, the one who is for us is greater. And his purpose is that the glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. When Gordon was sharing uh, earlier about various people having committed suicide... This world needs Jesus. People are literally dying because they haven't got Jesus. Many people's lives need sorting out. Their lives are in turmoil and in pain. And they need Jesus. And God's plans have not changed. It is time to build the kingdom. But then let's go on to verse 14. Come to the second issue. As you've seen, I'm missing out various verses in here. You can read it, the whole thing, later yourself if you want. And Haggai said, and this is what God's saying to his people. So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do, whatever they offer, is defiled. Well, that's not very encouraging, is it? Whatever you do, and you yourself, you're defiled. And when we turn to God and start doing things God's ways, one of the things that normally happens is that you become so aware of your own unworthiness. You become so aware of the mixed upness that's in here, all the wrong thoughts which are in here. All the wrong attitudes which are in here. All the inability to get things perfectly right which are in here. And God says, I know exactly what you're like. 
But then he says in verse 19, Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. But from this day on, I will bless you. Yes, you are a dirty, rotten sinner. But I will bless you. And that blessing is not on the basis of our goodness, not on the basis of our abilities, not on, the ability, uh, on us, it's on Jesus. You see, this, our human reaction always is to look at, say, right, this is all down to me. It's all dependent on my abilities, on my innate goodness, on my innate abilities, on who I am. That is our human reaction. It is the way we have been living for thousands of years when we rebelled against God and said, we don't need you. We will look at something and say, right, it's all down to me. And God says, that's completely the wrong way you've been live, uh, to live. That's not the way you were designed to live. It's all down to God. See, Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is my strength. He is my joy. And he is my peace. Jesus is the reason God blesses us. You know, we, particularly in charismatic church, we're very fond at times of reading those chapters in uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy where it says, if you do this, you'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. And then there's much longer sections. Where it says, but if you don't, there's a whole... 50 verses of various curses and judgments upon you. Now, on your own merits, I don't know why we cite those, verses, those chapters. On your own merits, which bit of Leviticus 28 or 29 are you going to get? The bit for wholehearted, complete obedience to God, or the bit for getting it wrong? All those curses on our own merits are the only thing we're going to get. But it's not on our merit. It's on the merit of Jesus. And God says, I will bless you. Now we're almost done. Let's go to verse 14. See, there's a problem, uh, 19, sorry. I'm completely lost now. Uh, 23, sorry. So this temple was built And if you read, there's a problem though. If you read in Matthew 24, the disciples are there with Jesus at the temple. And this is, um, what, 500 years or so later. And they say, look at this temple, it's magnificent. What did Jesus say? Not one stone will be left upon another. And in AD 70, that temple was completely destroyed. So where does that leave us? What did Jesus, what did it, what it, it says in 1 Corinthians 6, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. In Ezekiel, at the end of it, you read the vision of uh, living water flowing out from the temple. And then Jesus says in uh, John chapter 7, whoever believes in me, well, we did this earlier, who's, who believes in Jesus? From within him will flow streams of living water. We are the temple of God that he is building. And he says here, I, on that day, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord. I will make you like my signet ring, 
For I have chosen you, declares the Lord. Now, the signet ring was the seal of God's approval, or the seal of a king's approval. The king would have a signet ring on, and would, on, if it issued some decree, would emboss the wax and put this seal upon it. And that would say, right, this shows that this actually is what the king wants to do. And God here is saying to Zerubbabel, you are my seal of approval. Now think of the, remember the situation of this nation. Israel was a small and despised nation. Maybe some of us, maybe the people at work or even in our families or at school or at university or wherever, who see us as small and despised. Maybe some of us even see ourselves as small and despised. If you want to know the truth, if your heart is for God, then where you are, God is. And he puts us in positions and he puts us in situations where he is doing work. And he uses us in those situations. It is time to build the house of God. Let's stand and pray. Lord God, we ask forgiveness for all the times that we've put dealing with our own lives first, where we've put seeking your kingdom second or third or fourth in our lives. Lord, we repent of that. And Lord, we thank you for the magnificent purpose for which you have called us. We thank you for the lives that you want to save. We thank you for the lives that you want to put back together again. We thank you for the work that you have to do in this city and in this nation. And we thank you that you are the Lord Almighty. You are the one with all power and authority. And your purposes have not changed. And Lord, we commit ourselves to doing your work. Lord, we ask you to stir up our spirits. Stir up our hearts, stir up our minds, stir up our souls, stir up every aspect of our being. Fill us with a, such a deep awareness of your purpose, your goodness, your power, and your love for this world. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the end of your teaching for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. 